chapter number 12 tonight. You made it. This is the last. This is it. This is lesson number six, uh, the final lesson in this uh, series that we've been preaching. Enti- uh, the series is entitled Shattered. And so I'm just curious, is there anybody tonight, and don't be afraid to raise your hand, if this is your first night with us this evening, okay? Anybody? Good, I don't have to give a big backstory or tell you exactly what we've been doing or what we've been covering, but very, very simply, we've been covering this, the idea behind being shattered and broken before God. And not just that uh, you're, you're shattered and broken in that your life has, ex- has, has experienced difficult trials and circumstances, but that you're shattered and broken, contrite and humble. That's what we've been talking about and how God only uses those who are of a contrite and a humble spirit. That's what we've been talking about and looking at different characters in the word of God who have either distributed that spirit of brokenness and humility and have continued to remain humble under the umbrella of humility and being used of God or they've had to be humbled because of their spirit of unbrokenness and their spirit of unshatteredness. And so we understand that we've been talking about this really just the one simple word to summarize it, humility. That's what we've been talking about and how God uses humble people. But get this, and, and this, should, this should scare everybody in this room. It's a healthy fear. If you're not humble and shattered, you better humble and shatter yourself before God humbles you. God's done that. Just as we've read in scripture and, and read about different people who God has had to bring uh, under subjection through difficult trials and circumstances that they could have avoided if they would have remained humble before his spirit. But rather, they have left, and we've def- defined it this way, they have left dependency and sufficiency un- uh, under God's control and started living independently of God. That is unshattered. And so that's what we've been talking about. And we obviously couldn't talk about being shattered and broken before God and in the series without talking about Paul. Paul, what a great man of God. And we'll talk about him this evening. If you'll look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, and we'll read 10 verses, verse number 1, down through the bottom, uh, verse number 10. The Bible says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth, uh, God knoweth, such an one caught up in the third heaven, and I knew such a man, again, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities... For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Then am I strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
And as we come to the end of this series, and, and we're going to kind of summarize it into one simple message, I'd like to talk to you about this subject in light of our series that we've been going through, Shattered, Being Broken Before God. I'd like to talk to you about this subject, The Mightiest Are Shattered. The Mightiest Are Shattered. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us tonight and that you would speak to me as you have already, uh, just during this week as you've spoken to me in, in my prayer time and in, and in just seeking your face and getting quiet before you this, this week. I'd hate to be a hypocrite. And I'd hate to be one who is filled with pride and arrogance and preach a message about humility and contriteness. Lord, be it not so. I pray that I would be humble before you as I preach tonight and as I speak, that you'd help me. Uh, and I, I empty myself the best that I know how, and I give myself yielded to you fully. And I pray that I'd be a vessel used of you tonight to speak to hearts, because there's one thing that we need to hear tonight, and that is this. We need to be humble. Lord, you only use those who are of a meek and a contrite spirit. You only use those who are of a shattered and a broken spirit before you. You have no desire to use those who are arrogant, who are self-sufficient, who are de dependent uh, upon themselves and living in their own self-sufficiency and neglecting your leadership and, and they're out from under the umbrella of humility. Lord, I pray we'd humble ourselves before you humble us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak tonight in a very special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for praying and reading with me. Um, how many of you have ever seen the show Cops? Okay, Cops, it aired on March 11th of 1989. Bad boys, don't you want, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, does it take you back? How many of you, you liked watching Cops? You know why we liked watching Cops? Is because we always like to see the bad guy lose. You know, and, and cops, again, it's been 32 seasons and all of us love to get behind the television and we all like to watch some crazy wacko guy who's missing half his teeth and whose pants are falling down run and the cop just comes up behind him and tackles him to the ground. Am I the only one? Man, I love it. I love cops. And I'm, uh, by the way, I'm not condoning it. I'm not allowed to do that, right? Pastor's looking at me, okay? Uh, I'm not saying you ought to watch cops, but I'm saying I watched cops growing up, okay? Because I like to see the bad guy lose. And there was a guy that I was uh, uh, friends with growing up. He lived just two streets over from me. His name was Drew Eicherman. And Drew Eicherman uh, lived with his mom and his stepdad. And I never got the opportunity for, uh, for a long time, of our, uh, beginning of our friendship, to meet his real dad, uh, Mr. Eicherman. But nonetheless, we grew up and we were uh, playing one summer. And uh, I did know a little bit about Drew's dad. And one thing that I knew about Drew's dad is Drew's dad was on the show Cops a couple of times. He was a very decorated officer in the city of Houston. And uh, uh, again, he, was, uh, he received several different awards. He was recognized. And he was known as a man that always gets his man. You know, and that was the reputation that he would have. He was a, 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 just a, a, a grunty man, and he was, he was one that was going to go out, and he was going to get his man. He was going to get the guy. And so obviously, being a young guy, 12, 13 years old, I had never met Mr. Eicherman, and I had never seen him before, but the, um, the imagery that I would get in thinking, and by the way, Drew was a big guy. He was, I mean, a very hefty kid. He was a, he was a, 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 he was a center, uh, center lineman, and so he's a big guy. So I'm imagining, man, Drew's dad must be the men of all men. I'm I'm thinking like this guy's got to be the real deal he's been on cops he's gotten awards from the city of Houston he's got to be a serious a hardcore specimen I'm talking like a man's man a kind of picture maybe like chip but tall you know what I'm saying like this guy is jacked and, and I mean I guarantee you that's exactly what he's I probably got the aviators on and the bald head you know and the muscles where like an extra large doesn't even fit on his biceps and so Drew and me were swimming one summer uh, on a Sunday afternoon and it was uh, the weekend that his dad was going to come and pick him up and take him to his house and so I got to meet Mr. Eicherman and I can remember Drew telling me man my dad's going to be here in about 30 minutes you want to stick around and meet my dad he's heard a lot about you you've heard about him you're going to get to meet him 
oh man, it's finally time for me to meet Mr. Eicherman. And I was so excited. I'm like, okay, I can't wait to see him. And he pulls up in a, uh, it was like a lift, there was a lift kit and it was, a, uh, it was an F-250, a big like King Grant style, big old truck. And I see him and I, I did get the bald head right and I did get the aviators correct. He was behind the wheel of the car and I'm like, there he is. He opens the door and he has to jump down. And there stood a five foot four, five foot five, 130 pound runt of a man. Like I'm bigger than he was, okay, at this point in my life. And what's worse is he had a little bit of a gut on him. That was Mr. Eicherman. And okay, this was my response, inwardly, not outwardly. That's him? That's the Mr. Eicherman? That's the guy that was on cops, are you kidding me? That's the guy who's been decorated in the city of Houston as being such a great police officer. And that's the guy who, I mean, again, I was just a child, so obviously my imaginations and my expectations were huge. Major letdown. This guy was a small little puny guy, and that was the Mr. Eicherman. And that was my response. That's the guy? That's him? And my mind went back to that story this week as I was studying and I was preparing because when we think of this man, Paul, possibly, if not the greatest Christian that ever lived, one of the most decorated Christians in regards to his achievements that's ever lived, one of the greatest preachers, greatest church planners, greatest soul winners, this guy, Paul, was, I mean, seriously, in regards to Christianity, was the Michael Jordan of Christianity. And if we were to take and we were to list all of Paul's achievements, all of the souls that were saved, you were to list all the churches that were planted and all of the people that were affected for the cause of Christ by this man, Paul, but you never knew anything about Paul and you never knew who Paul was as a person or as a Christian, maybe our ideas and our concepts behind this man, Paul, would be that of this. This has got to be a man amongst men. This has got to be quite a specimen. This has got to be a man that's full of charisma and zeal and passion no doubt he's got to be a great orator you know it's actually quite the opposite Paul was a very intelligent man and I don't want to take that away from him he spoke several different languages but as far as his physical demeanor and his stature he's actually a little guy he's a small man small guy he looked like an average Jew he looked like a run-of-the-mill person that you would see every single day. There was nothing exactly extravagant about this man, Paul. And again, when you look at the achievements of Paul, then look at Paul himself, perhaps the conclusion that you would reach would be this. That's the guy? That's Paul? The man that preached and, and has seen thousands of people saved? That's Paul? That's him? The man that planted churches, the man that has written uh, scripture after scripture where we get most of our doctrines and practices as a church, that's Paul. There wasn't a lot to say about Paul and his demeanor, and there wasn't a lot to say about Paul and his physicality and the way he would look. He looked, uh, really, uh, he looked no different than any other man. But you know what the word of God tells us? That there was an element to Paul's Christianity that set him apart from everybody else and put him in the position that Paul became, uh, Paul became known as. He put him in the position to be used in great and mighty ways by God. And we find that formula in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter number 12. Simply put, Paul understood what it meant to be shattered before God. Paul understood what it meant to display a spirit, as we read in Isaiah chapter 57, of contriteness and humility. Paul understood what it meant to be broken. Paul understood that the key to shatteredness was having a healthy perspective, like we talked about a few weeks ago, of who God was and who Paul was. That was Paul. 
Not a man, not a great specimen, humanly speaking, but one of the greatest Christians of all time. And you know why he was used to such a great capacity? Shatteredness, brokenness, humility, contriteness. So I'd like to outline a couple of different things that we see in Isaiah, not Isaiah, but we see in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, number 12 with me. If you're taking notes very simply this evening, and we'll be quick, number one, I want you to notice this. Paul's enormous pressure Paul's enormous pressure, back up to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. If there was ever anyone in history who understood this thing of pressure and dealing, excuse me, with the pressures of life, it was this man, Paul. Paul understood what it meant to experience great pressure and have the pressures of life upon you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the chapter just before this, in verse number 21. It's a long portion that I'm going to read, but I want you to listen and think about all these things that Paul has had to deal with. I speak as concerning reproach, verse 21, are you there? I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had, uh, uh, had been weak, howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold, and they, uh, are they Hebrew? Uh, uh, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak uh, as a fool. I am more. In laborers more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prison more frequent. In uh, death oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes and save one. Uh, thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I have suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers in perils of mine own countrymen in perils of the heathen in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils amongst false brethren in weariness and painfulness in watching often in hunger and thirst in fasting often in cold and nakedness this Paul knew what it meant to have the pressure upon him look what he says in the next verse though Having to deal with all of these different kinds of pressures, you know what else I have to deal with? Besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. So not only do I have to deal with all the things that I've had to deal with, the stoning, the shipwreck, my own countrymen forsaking me, I have to report to these churches and I'm intending to the care of these churches that I've planted. Verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? Then he says this, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Again, if there's ever been a man in history who understands this thing of pressures of life, it's Paul. He's writing to the church at Corinth and he's telling them this, you're dealing with infirmities? Guess what? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it. Paul understood what it meant to have the pressures of life upon him. Paul understood how it felt to have the pressures coming from every single angle. Again, he's looking at the church at Corinth and he's telling them, are you in over your head? I've been submerged since day one. I know exactly how it feels to have the pressures on every side. When it came to the pressures, Paul couldn't take a catch a break. But did you notice something about these pressures that are lined out in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Paul lists, the stoning, shipwrecked, forsaking of his own countrymen, hungering, thirsting, all these infirmities, you know what they are? External infirmities. They're all pressures that are coming from without, not from within. They're all pressures that are coming from the outside sources, not infirmities and pressures that are coming from within. This is very important. I want you to listen to me. I'll read it. Paul didn't sweat external pressures coming from without because there was an even bigger problem coming from within. Shipwreck, who cares? Forsaking of my own countrymen, go figure. Another beating, bring it on. 
However, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Paul tells us about an even greater pressure that Paul had to deal with. Bigger than all of those things that we just listed, far greater. More dangerous than being stoned and being shipwrecked, being forsaken, far greater. Verse number seven. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Hold on a second. I'll read it again. Unless I should be exalted above measure through, uh, through the abundance of the revelation. What was Paul's greatest pressure? What was Paul's greatest fear? Here it is. He didn't ever want to forget who God was and who Paul was. Paul's greatest fear, and he says it in verse number six and verse number seven, his greatest fear is that he would be exalted above who he is and that God would be diminished below who he is. Do you understand? He never wanted to get to the point, just like we mentioned last week in regards to King Uzziah, he never wanted to get to the point, and this was his greatest fear in life, never wanted to get to the point where he was strong. He never wanted to get to the point where he was, here we go, unshattered, unbroken. More than all those infirmities that were just listed, you better believe it. Paul was consumed with this inward fear and that was that, the exact fear that he just referenced in verse number seven. I'm scared to death that I'm gonna be exalted above my measure. In other words, Paul's greatest pressure in life was unbrokenness. His greatest fear was unbrokenness. And by the way, that's our greatest fear. At least it ought to be as a Christian. Your greatest fear is not your job dilemmas. Your greatest fear is not your family circumstances. Your greatest fear is not something that you're having, you're dealing with whether or not it's a, a physical infirmity of something of that nature. That's not your greatest fear. You know what your greatest fear is? We'll just say it in one simple word, pride. Pride should be your greatest fear as a Christian because it, is, it has destroyed more Christians' lives than anything else. Pride. We see Paul's enormous pressure. Number two. Secondly, Paul's excruciating pain. Paul's excruciating pain. Look at verse number seven. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So again, Paul's greatest fear was being exalted above measure and Paul's greatest pressure was coming to the point where he was living independently of God and living in his own self-sufficiency and has departed from being under the umbrella of humility and now living on the opposite end of the spectrum apart from the will of God. That was Paul's greatest fear. So you know what God did? You know what God did about the, the situation? God gave Paul a gift. Gave him a gift. We read about it. What, what was his gift? There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know what the gift was? The gift was a thorn in the flesh and the messenger of Satan. That was a gift given by God himself to Paul. You say, okay, Lamar, what was the thorn in the flesh? We have no idea. I wish that I could tell you this evening that I know exactly what Paul was going through, but the scripture does not line it out. Commentators have tried to say, hey, I think that it's blindness, and I think that it's maybe a physical infirmity, and they've come out with all these different wacko. The scripture is unclear, but we do know this. A man who has been beaten several times, forsaken by his countrymen, shipwrecked, experiencing all these great physical dilemmas and external pressures, it was bad enough for that guy to say, Lord, three times, please make it depart from me. So this was not no minor thorn in the flesh. Speculate what you wish on what it is. It was major though. 
It was a big deal in the life of Paul. Big enough for this man who's been through everything to beg God three times, please remove it from my life. But God elects not to remove this thorn from Paul's life, does he? Why? Because whatever it was kept Paul shattered. Whatever it was kept Paul grounded. Whatever it was kept Paul living dependent upon his heavenly father. So God elects not to remove this element in Paul's life. He elects not to remove this thorn in Paul's flesh and the messenger of Satan that was buffeting Paul. He elects not to remove it. Why? It kept him humble. God was more concerned with Paul's holiness than he was with his happiness. Some of us need to hear that tonight. God is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. That's what pain will do, isn't it? Pain will keep you grounded. Difficult circumstances will keep you living dependently upon God. Pastor will know this. This was just a few years ago. This was right before me and Rebecca were married. I was there in Oklahoma City. It was just months before, and Pastor Farinella was there. My wife and I were dating, and uh, we were just coming upon, uh, just about to get married on that summer. I believe it was sometime in, in May or June, and for some reason, Pastor was there, whether preaching for chapel or something, and my parents were there as well. And my dad's relationship and my relationship was on the rocks, the worst it's ever been. We were not on speaking terms. We were fighting. We were arguing. Every time that I would talk to my dad, it would end up in an argument. And the reason that we were at odds with one another was simply because my dad called me out on my arrogance and my pride. And I did not like that. Did not sit well with me. And so my dad and I were not on speaking terms. I was driving down Reno Avenue, going to meet my father-in-law, and I believe, Miss Diana, were you there? Going to meet, they were at Taco Del Mar with my family, and I was driving by myself in my 1988 Jeep Comanche, which I just had for a couple of days, going about 45 miles an hour, and I can see Taco Del Mar here on my left. And the guy in front of me, I was driving behind a white truck, he moved, exposing a car that was basically at a dead standstill in front of me, getting ready to turn left. And I ran in at about 45 miles an hour, and I totaled my truck. And my family, and Pastor Farinella, and my dad, and my my wife, or my fiance at the time, they all saw it happen, and they all came running out to the media, and first person to reach my side was my dad. And he came running up to me. And his arms were open, ready to embrace me. He could tell that I was distraught. And I stiff-armed my dad in the chest, and I pushed him aside. And I embraced Brother Farinella, embraced my fiance, left my dad alone. Because I was so angry and I was so mad. You know who paid the tow bill? My dad. You know who dealt with the police officers? My dad. You know who dealt with the insurance agents? My dad, we were just about to get married. You know who gave me his car? My dad. You know what I realized really quickly? I need my dad. I need my father. Can I tell you something? Sometimes pain will come in life and God will bring difficult trials and difficult circumstances simply to remind us of this very significant truth. We are vulnerable and we are needy and we need our heavenly father. Let me correct some false theology. Did you know, and I I guarantee you most of us are disillusioned by this false theology, did you know that God will give you more than you can handle? He will. He will and he does. Maybe you've seen it on a precious moments card or you have it on a plaque in in your room. God doesn't give more than he can handle. Yes, he does. He's in the business of giving you more than you can handle because he wants to remind you of this truth. You desperately need him. You desperately need your heavenly father. 
God uses this pain in life, uh, in the life of Paul to keep him under the umbrella of humility and keep him fully dependent on his heavenly father. So we see Paul's enormous pressure and we see his excruciating pain. Thirdly, I want us to see Paul's extraordinary power. Paul's extraordinary power. We see in this passage the enormous pressure that gives way to the ex- excruciating pain, but eventually it, gets, it gives way to this enormous power found in verse number nine. We all know it. This is God speaking. He says, and he said unto me, that is Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in mine infirmities. Here it is. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because of the anchor of his setbacks, Paul was able to experience the awesome power of the Savior. Because of the pressure and the pain, Paul was able to tap into the power that was far greater than any power that Paul had ever experienced before, and that was this, the power of Jesus Christ. We could say it this way. Through the process of Paul's infirmities, Paul was able to experience the product of God's power and God's blessing. But Paul could not experience that product without first going through the process. So what did this cause Paul to do? What did it cause Paul to do? We know the verse, it says, he caused him to glory in his infirmities. Who on earth would go through what Paul has gone through in his life, both the external and the internal pressures and the excruciating pain? What would cause somebody to go through that and say, I glory in the infirmities, I glory in the difficult circumstances, I glory in the shipwreck, I glory in the stonings, I glory in the forsaking, I glory in all of it. What would cause somebody to say, I glory in my infirmities? Someone who understands this, that those very infirmities are what kept Paul anchored to the power of God. Listen, don't be so quick to remove the anchors of infirmities that, you, uh, that keep you fastened to the power of our Savior. Don't be so quick to remove the anchors of infirmities that keep us fastened to the power of the Savior. Maybe it's something difficult that you're going through, whether again an ailment, physical ailment, might even be something beyond your control like a wayward child. It might be a family situation. It might be a job situation. It might be a situation that I don't even comprehend or would not be able to comprehend or understand. But be very careful about praying those things away because it could be that very thing that is keeping you anchored to the sufficiency of your Savior, Jesus Christ. It could be that very thing as Paul did, praying three times that God would remove it from his flesh, not realizing that it was that very thing that was keeping him fastened to the power of God. Be careful about your prayer life. Be careful on how you pray. We ought to pray this way, the Bible says, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, is what Jesus said on the cross. If it be thy will, that's how you ought to pray. If it be thy will, let this infirmity be removed from me. But understand this, that sometimes in life, it are, the, it are those, those darkest corners and those darkest situations that are keeping us fastened, that are keeping us shattered, that are keeping us connected to the power of Jesus Christ. We see Paul's enormous pressure. We see Paul's excruciating pain. And we see Paul's extraordinary power. Lastly, number four. We see Paul's exemplary perspective. Paul's exemplary perspective. Again, how does Paul feel about all this? How does Paul feel about this process of infirmities? We know he glories in it. 
He glories in those infirmities. And so often we come to verse number nine. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Gladly, therefore, I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We stopped there without continuing. But I want us to look at verse number 10. Here's what Paul tells us. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Verse 11, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I be, uh, behind the very chiefest apostles. Look what he says next. Though I be nothing. Though I be nothing. Just a few verses prior, he's begging God, three times he begs God to remove the thorn that is in his flesh, remove the buffeting of Satan, but now we see him taking pleasure in the thorn because it was that very thorn that was driving him to be closer with his Savior. It caused him, here it is, it caused him to find the key of shatteredness. It caused him to have a healthy perspective of who God is and who Paul was. Who is Paul? though I be nothing. I am nothing. Paul understood that the pressure and the pain that he experienced was only to get him, uh, give him a healthy perspective of who God was and who Paul is. I am nothing. He is everything. He says it this way. I am weak. He is strong. Did you notice what Paul said in reference to his thorn and the buffeting of Satan in verse number seven? Look with me there again one more time. We're almost done. What did he say of this thorn that was given to him? Unless I should be exalted, verse 7, above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was, what's that next word? There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know what Paul's perspective was, was of his thorn in the flesh? You know, what, you know what Paul's perspective was in regards to this buffeting of Satan that kept occurring? You know what Paul's perspective was of his infirmities? It was a gift from God to keep him humble. It was a gift given by his heavenly father to keep him under the umbrella of shatteredness. Grief was his gift. Pain was his present. This thorn was his token. The buffeting of Satan was a blessing from the Savior. What others would deem as a curse, Paul viewed as a blessing from God. Why? It gave Paul the healthy perspective that he needed to understand God is there and I am here. He is everything and I am nothing. You know what we could say that would be? Shatteredness. Contriteness and humility. In closing... Again, as we bring this series to an end, I, I think that we could all agree, and we've been going over it week after week, but we understand this, that God only uses those who are of a meek and a contrite spirit to accomplish his will. God only uses those who are shattered. We understand, again, as we mentioned just a few weeks ago, that the key to shatteredness is having a healthy perspective of who we are in and of ourselves and who he is. Who are we? Nothing. Who is he? exalted, high and lofty one, as Isaiah says. He is everything and we are nothing. 
And we also understand that we cannot experience the process, or excuse me, the product of blessedness without first going through the process of brokenness. And we also understand that God is willing to use whatever means necessary to bring us to that point of brokenness and that point of, of, of shatteredness. Why? Because he so desires to use us, but he cannot use us until we are shattered. That process for some includes infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses, as Paul said. It includes enormous pressure for some and sometimes even excruciating pain. But if we receive it as a gift, and then he says, if we rely on his grace, we then get to experience the extraordinary power of Christ resting upon us. But it does not take place in our lives until we have a spirit of shatteredness brokenness and contriteness the question is simple tonight and I will not labor long but I want you to hear me everybody make eye contact with me are you shattered are you shattered if you're not Wednesday night it's the 25th of September be a great opportunity for you to humble yourself because you don't know when God's going to bring infirmities in your life where he has to humble you are you shattered tonight Lord I pray that you'd be with us thank you for speaking Thank you for giving me the opportunity and for a church that allows me the opportunity to expound upon the scriptures and to preach. And Lord, I, I, I was not putting up a facade. I was not putting up a, a, a trying to say shifty words. I'm, I'm being serious tonight. I pray that we would be shattered before you. And I'd even pray so bold as to say that if I'm not shattered, and if I do not come to that point of submission and submitting to your will and getting under the umbrella of humility and living dependently upon you, I pray that you'd shatter me. I pray that you'd humble me because I'd rather be used of you shattered and having to deal with the ramifications of my uh, uh, humbling than to live outside of your will. Lord, we so desperately want to be used, but we cannot be used until you have your way in our lives and we have that spirit of contriteness and humility. I pray that every person in the, within the sound of my voice would pray this way tonight. Lord, I wanna be shattered before you. I wanna be broken before you because I wanna be used by you. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand